you can head right over there with Miss Meredith and head out and go have your children's church time. And uh, folks, you will be able to pick them up in a little bit. They'll be well cared for over there and uh, energized and uh, hopefully uh, learning something deeply about our Savior uh, this morning as we do the same here. Today we're going to continue uh, our look at a book in the Bible that many of you probably haven't read because it falls in that difficult category of two, really got two strikes against it. It's Old Testament. And if you have a Bible that you use regularly, I would imagine that most of the grease spots where your thumb has, has worked is on the far right-hand side. Uh, it's on those last few chapters, you know, or books over there in the New Testament. So it's Old Testament, and it's a historical book. And most of us just already begin to fall asleep when we think about history. But what we're going to find out and what we're going to continue to look at over, these, over this summer is how God shows His incredible nature and character to us through His dealing with His people. And we can learn a lot for how He dealt with Israel historically, that is, His church historically, and how He continues to deal with us today. Because what you're going to find out is you have a lot of similarities with the people of Israel. You have a lot of similarities with people all throughout history because here's how, what you have most in common with them. Guess what? They had messed up hearts that wanted to do their own thing when they wanted to do it, how they wanted to do it. And guess what you have? Messed up hearts that want to do your own thing when you want to do it, how you want to do it. And every now and then you'll call God in, but it's normally when things have gone so badly in your own life that you call out and you ring your little bell and you say, hey, Jeeves, I need some help now. I appreciate that you've let me do my own thing for so long, but now I've gotten off track and I need you to come back and re-engage my life, but I really only want you to re-engage it enough to fix the problem without messing up too much else. And what we're going to find out and look at today uh, is really the challenge of compromise. It is the danger of not going all the way in your faith. Uh, It is that, that challenge that's in front of us that says Christianity and Christ wants everything about you and wants to infiltrate and penetrate everything in your life and not just part of it. And that is hard for us. We love the idea of compromise. We love the idea of negotiating. Uh, Some of you who are in business and in in life, it doesn't have to be business, you love to negotiate. It just makes you salivate of how you can get a little bit more here and a little bit more there. I mean, we just are... Somebody said, are you so excited about you have a contract on your house? And I will be incredibly excited on June 13th when my bank account goes up a little bit. Uh, Until then, I'm a little nervous. But what I did like a little bit about the process was these folks came in with this really low bid. And we were here, and we didn't have to come down as far as they had to come up. And so I felt like I won. That, hey, we lost some, but we gained more than we lost in this thing. And that's kind of how we approach God. God, I'm willing to concede a little bit, but I'd like you to come way up on your opening offer for me. I'd like heaven, and I'd like a good life here, and I'd like blessing. And I'm willing to give up X, Y, and Z, but please don't ask me for more than that. You see, we want to negotiate and compromise. And that's what's going on in the first chapter of uh, Judges here. Now, I'm going to read this for you, and I want you to pick up on some common refrains, and I want you to stay with me if you can, uh, because it's, uh, it's a little bit lengthy, and uh, I'm going to skip over certain parts of it, but I'm going to pick up, I'm going to begin in verse 1, 
And then we're going to move down and pick up again in verse 16 and on the way through. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 1. This is God's very word. Now after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into the land allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek at Bezek, and fought against him, and defeated the Canaanites and Perizzites. And Adonai Bezek fled But they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Now skip down with me to verse 16. And the descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up with the people of Judah to the city of Palms and to the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev near Arad. Big geography lesson, so stay with me here uh, on it. And they went and settled with the people. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zepeth and devoted it to the destruction. So the name of the city was called Horam. And Judah also captured Gaza with its territory and Ashkelon with its territory and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. But... He could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites who lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Now I'm just going to read a couple of selected verses. Verse 25. And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city and called its name Luz, and its name, and it's it's its name to this day. Verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 29, and Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko. Verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. So you kind of see a pattern forming there. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. So the first thing we're going to see is the challenge. This is the challenge of the Christian faith. And the challenge of the Christian faith uh, is to drive out everything else in your life that takes up any place of supremacy or ultimacy in your life, to drive it out and allow God to reign in its place, to take care of everything else. You see, God had given an ultimatum to the people of Israel under Joshua. He said, now you're going to go into the land of Canaan, into the land flowing with milk and honey, and you are going to drive out all of the people there. You're going to move them out. You're going to displace them or destroy them, and you're going to now have that land. Now, for the modern mind, that seems incredibly wrong. How could God do this? It seems judgmental. Uh, It seems like God's not a very loving God. And I don't have time to fully go into that, but the fact of the matter is, don't look at the Canaanites or the Perizzites or those folks in a way that says that they were innocent. 
What God is doing is he's saying this. He is using the people of Israel as his instrument of discipline towards those nations that stood against him. That he said, I am God, and you shall follow me. And if you don't, these things will happen. You can go over if you want and look at Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 4 to 6, or Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 14, or even into Leviticus 18, and you see what the Canaanites and others had done and why God was judging them. But God had given them a command, and it was a very simple command. Drive them all out. Don't make treaties with them. Don't make alliances with them. Don't do anything else with them, but drive them out of the land. Does that make sense? It's pretty clear, right? I heard on Mother's Day a woman was being interviewed, and somebody asked her, said, what would be the ultimate Mother's Day gift for you? And she paused for a second, and she said, I would love a day when I didn't have to repeat myself. And I think about that sometimes. God made this abundantly clear so that he wouldn't have to repeat himself. He said, take all the land. Don't let any of them remain, clear as can be. But he was gracious, and he repeated it. And then he even added some things that a good father and parent would do. He would say, now listen, there is a reason behind me saying this to you. If you don't drive them all the way out, if you don't get rid of them totally in this, here's what will happen. They will ultimately lead you into rebellion against me. And the people probably went, oh, no, of course that would never happen to us. We love you, God. We would never do that. And he said, be careful because this is what's going to happen if you let it just hang out there. If you let them remain, it's going to ultimately lead to your destruction. So get rid of them all. And the people probably, like every good child, said, I got it. You ever played the game when you sit in a circle and you begin the phone conversation, and it goes around, and you're supposed to. We used to do that in youth groups, but we don't do it anymore because what we found was there's some pretty brutal things that people would switch it up and say some horrible things about the person at the end. Like Bill McCutcheon is the ugliest man I've ever seen, and it started out by saying something totally different, like the car is red. But what you find in that is there is a miscommunication. There is a breakdown that happens as things move out. And so what we find here is there is a breakdown. As things were communicated down from Joshua to the leaders of Israel, and then it says that Joshua died, the challenge was, are we willing not to compromise? Now you'll go, Bill, that's really cool, and that's Old Testament, and that's history, but what about for you? Well, you see, Christ makes those same statements to you, and the Lord makes those same statements to us. He says this, get rid of all sinfulness in your life. Get rid of all of the old inhabitants of your land, of your heart, of your soul. Get rid of them all. Eradicate them from your life. Let me move through you and get rid of all of those other things, all of those other influences, all of that stuff. Let me come and do that so I can take up residence in the middle and reign. Because if you don't, you will find that over the course of time, they will lead you ultimately to destruction and death. So you see the parallels between this thing that happened historically and the spiritual reality of what God's calling us to do. And so the challenge is this, to get rid of it all, to eradicate it all. So those of you who are Christians, and maybe those of you who are new to Christ, how's that going, to get rid of it all? Is it difficult? 
to get rid of everything that God says uh, is in opposition to him, everything that the scriptures say to get rid of. There's, there's a place in, in the Bible that sort of sums them up in ten little points, uh, and it's a good place to start. And it says, have no other gods before me. How's that one going? You go, well, I don't serve any other gods, really? As one pastor once said in New York City, if you want to be successful in New York City and you want to be the top of the hedge fund and you want to be the top of something else, then guess what? That ultimately is your God. You're serving it. And you will do everything and you will sacrifice everything to get there. So there's other gods. And maybe it says this. It says, don't make any graven images. Don't have idols before me. Don't serve anything else. Do we serve anything else? If I went to your homes, I'd imagine I don't see little totems and little idols up in your houses. But guess what? We have idols, and we serve them. Or it says this, don't take the name of the Lord lightly. And that doesn't mean don't say GD and don't say Jesus Christ's name in a profane way. It means this, don't use it in any way, shape, or form that takes away from its gravity, that takes away from his heaviness and weightiness in your life. Honor the Sabbath day, for it's holy. Today, how are we going to honor the Lord in our Sabbath rest? Children, respect and honor your mother and father, for it will be good for you in those days. You know, then you know, don't murder and don't steal and don't lie and all that kind of stuff. You go, hey, I got those. I haven't murdered anybody. And Jesus says, oh, if you harbor resentment in your heart towards someone, you've already murdered them. And he goes, but, but I haven't committed adultery. And he says, you know, lust is simply adultery in seed form. It's just waiting for the opportunity to blossom out into all of its fullness. Don't covet what your neighbor has. That's a hard one around here, isn't it? Because we, we live in an area of the country where everybody's got great stuff. And you look around and you just buy a boat. And guess what you find out? When you just buy a boat, guess what somebody else has? A better boat. Or you buy a car, you're like, that's an awesome car. Guess what somebody has? A better car or cooler clothes or a better address or whatever it is. And we're constantly that way. And it's not just as the big boys here and the adults. It happens to our children when they're in school and on the playground and all of those things. So God is saying get rid of all that stuff totally. Now that's hard, isn't it? Do you think that's going to take effort on your part? It was going to take an incredible amount of effort on the people of Israel to go into that land and get rid of everybody all the way out and drive them all the way out. And here's what happened after that. It says the challenge was there to drive them all the way out. And God is saying in the middle of that challenge, hey, here's a little key to it. I've already given you the land. He said that right in verse 2. Drive them all the way out. Do all of this. And here's the kicker. I've already won it for you. I've already done it for you. And he says that to you as well and to me. Hey, deal with the sin in your life. Deal with these other gods in your life. Deal with this stuff in your life. And let me tell you, I've overcome the world. I've overcome your sinful heart. I'm living in you and through you, and I can do these things. I've already got the victory for you. And so the question really becomes this. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And what we find on the second thing, the challenge was that the people had to drive the people all the way, at the Israelites had to drive everyone out all the way. The second point is this, what they came to was compromise, is what they did was they drove them out most of the way. You see, in the first 19 verses, there was a lot of success. They drove the people out, and they did all of this stuff, and it was great, and they worked together, and there was all this wonderful thing. And then all of a sudden, some things began to happen. 
They let one family live, and that may not sound like a bad thing, but guess what that family went and did? They went and established an entire city that was in rebellion against God and became uh, an enemy to the people of Israel. And then in almost every successive verse, you see the people not going all the way. It says at one point there that they had success on the hilltops and they drove the people out of the high country. But then when they came down into the low country, they faced a people with, and it's interesting, they said iron chariots. What's the big deal with iron chariots? Absolutely nothing if you have the God of the universe on your side. But if you're looking and you go, wow, this battle is going to be too tough and all of a sudden I'm scared, it says that they didn't drive them out of the lowland because they were, they were a fierce enemy. And they let them live. And then almost every verse successive after that six times, and the people did not drive them out. They did not drive them out. They did not drive them out. They compromised. But what did they do? And you'll go, but Bill, it says this, they made them into servants. Oh, that's cool. So God, I've actually got a better plan for you. I know that you say that envy and and desire for other things is bad, but what if I turn that into my slave and it becomes my passion, and then what I'm going to do is have this passion and drive for more stuff, and then I can get more stuff, and I promise you that I'll get more stuff, I'll tithe it, and then your church will be better. Do you see? I'm just going to take this bad thing and I'm going to submit it and I'm going to put it into a slave position and I'm going to then go out and I'm going to take the good things that I have and I'm going to use them for your glory. And God, you know, I know you said don't lie, but every now and then it's really not the best thing to tell the truth. So if I lie, I promise you it's going to be for an ultimately good end. It's not to hurt the other person's feelings. And, and, and God, I know, that, I know that you said not to be angry, but man, my anger is kind of, it gets me going and it can get me motivated. So I'm going to use that anger and I'm going to submit it into my life as a slave and it's going to take off and it's going to be used for good. You see, it's not terrible thinking, is it? For the people to basically look at God, but what were they saying? They're saying, God, thanks for that concept of total annihilation of everybody in the land, but we've got a better plan. We think it'd be better for them to be our slaves, it'd be better for our economy. It'd ultimately be better for you. What are the people saying in the midst of that compromise? God, I know better than you do. We have set ourselves in a place, and and that's what we say every time when we decide that we're going to keep a little bit of stuff around in our life just to keep it spicy, just to keep it around a little bit. God, I can't deal with stress very well, and I think the best way for me to deal with stress is just to have another sip. And God, it's really good stuff. It's high end, and so I'm not going to drink a lot of it, but I'm going to use it every evening as my way of settling my heart. What are we saying to God? Is it wrong to have a sip of something to settle? No, not at all. But if we're saying, God, I have to have that over and against you to settle my heart, we're making a profound statement in there. Or if we're saying, God, I just need a little bit of this over here. Maybe life's boring. Maybe I need a little spice in life. And so some of you men travel and you're out and about and no one checks your phones and no one checks your iPads and no one checks your laptops. And so the little spice is just to see and watch a little bit of this on the screen just to give you a little bit of, ah. But I can control it, God. I I can take care of it. Here's the visual image that comes to mind for me. When Jesus walked through the towns and he went to a leper and he was going to go to this leper and heal the leper, how much of the leper was he going to heal? All of it, Ron. All of him. How much of the leprosy was he going to take care of? 100%. Now, can you imagine, and I was corrected one time because 
I, I don't understand leprosy fully, but let's, let's say that leprosy showed up sort of as in spots on your arm. Now, can you imagine the leper coming up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm dying. This leprosy, this disease that I have is going to kill me. It is all over my body. It's taken over. Would you please heal me? And Jesus came and says, I'm going to heal you. And the leper said, oh, wait a second, one thing. Can I save this one little mark? I just want to save this one little spot right here. Is that okay? Because I like that spot. It, it helps me identify myself. It, it helps remind me of who I was. So is it okay if I keep that little spot? What do you think Jesus would have said to him? You're nuts. Because if I leave that little spot, guess what's going to happen over the course of time? That little spot is going to spread back out and it's going to take over. You can't compromise. You can't get into a compromised position with leprosy. It's going to kill you. Its ultimate goal is to destroy your body. And it's the same way when, Jesus, when God was talking to the people there. He goes, don't make treaties with them. Don't because ultimately they're going to destroy you. They're going to lead you away from me. It's this way. It's how you want to view sin. And I've used this illustration a lot, and I hope I don't sound too redundant for you. But it's this picture of sin's ultimate goal in your life. The rebellion that's in our hearts, ultimate goal in our life is to destroy us. That's what its goal is. And think of it this way. If you're at a carnival, and some of you have gone to old carnivals, and you find the people who are on the outside, and they do the little tricks, and you pay them a quarter, or you pay them a buck, and you get to see the big strong man with the boa constrictor. There was something on YouTube recently about a guy down in Florida who caught an 18-foot python, and he was wrestling with this 18-foot python. He's like 5'10". Now, it was kind of cool, and people would go, that's really neat. I think I'm going to go wrestle with a python. Well, guess what a python's goal is when it wrestles with something? It's to crush it, destroy it, and eat it. So you go to the carnival and you see this man wrestling with a python and it wraps around him and then at the end of it he takes it off and he goes, oh, and everyone goes, oh, that's so cool, do it again. And they pay another buck and the guy does it again. And then all of a sudden, this time, the guy's facial expressions change and you start to see him cringe. And then you start to hear the snapping and the cracking of bones and you see him fall to the ground, crushed, all the life out of him. What did the boa constrictor do? It acted by its nature. Its nature is to destroy whatever it comes into contact with in that way. Sin is the same way. It says that sin is like a predator who is out there to have you, and it will hide itself. Think about when God spoke to Cain and Abel. He said, Cain, what are you doing? Don't you know that sin is crouching out at your door? Don't you know that sin is out there and its desire is for you? Any of you who are cat people, why do cats crouch? They crouch to hide themselves and to also bring their energy down in a place in a way that they can pounce. That's why tigers crouch and lions crouch. He's saying sin is that way. It hides its full nature, but it's pulling it back so that ultimately it can destroy you. And here's the lesson that we learn about compromise. When you leave that in the camp, you have left an enemy in your camp. You have left someone in your camp and something in your camp that is ultimately going to destroy you. Lust will destroy your marriage. Anger will destroy your family. If you lie, ultimately you will be lied to. 
If you murder someone in your heart, ultimately you will be murdered by someone in their heart. It comes back around. There's all of these things. And what God is trying to say to you is deal with this stuff. See how sinister and bad it is because it will ultimately destroy you. And most of us like to pet pythons. Some of you are going, heck no, and I'm with you. That's not a good illustration for me. I hate snakes. Just had one in the house the other day, uh, and Lisa screamed, and then I screamed and showed all of my muchismo going, ah! I mean, the thing was like that long. I'm huge in comparison to this thing, but man, I had the shovel and I had the machete, and I was like, this is not good. I killed it ultimately, but I'm still freaking out as this dead snake is still snapping at me. So some of you are going, snakes don't work, but whatever it is that works for you, Think of it this way. If you are battling cancer and the doctor says, I can get rid of all the cancer in your life, would you look at that doctor and say, would you mind leaving one bad cell? Of course not. In every other realm of life, that's stupidity and craziness and illogical at its greatest and nth degree. But yet in our spiritual lives, we think that we can make a compromise with God and a compromise with sin and the inhabitants of the land and say, I'd like one little inhabitant to hang out with me. God, I'll give you every part of my life, but I'd sure like to keep this little part over here for myself. Is that okay? And God is looking at you and saying, Not only is it not okay because I don't want to share you with anybody else, it's not okay because I love you so much that I know that this will destroy you. That is the amazing character and nature of our God. That He loves you so much, He won't allow other gods to take up residency in your life. That's why he wanted to get rid of the Canaanites in the land. That's why he wanted to do these things. That's why if you're sitting here today and you're sort of investigating this Christian faith and you're investigating the church, I don't want you to hear me saying, see, all sin is bad and we're just holy rollers and we're not going to deal with sin. Uh, We just want you to get rid of all that and we're all about what we don't do and not about what we do. I want you to hear this. Here's why we take sin seriously in this church and in our own lives because sin will ultimately destroy you. It may seem fun for a little while, but ultimately it will destroy you. And if not in this life, in the one to come. Because literally what the people were saying to God was this, God, thanks, but no thanks. We got it. We'll call you when we need you. Hmm. So there's a challenge, isn't there? And it's a huge challenge to deal with the sin in our lives, to deal with that old nature, to deal with that old man, that old woman that we have. But the problem is, the the challenge is we got to deal with all of it. Now, can I see all of it in my life? No, because sin by its nature hides itself. So I need to have other people in my life who know me and are willing to engage me enough to say, Bill, I know you love Christ and I know you're working hard to deal with all of these other inhabitants in your heart and in your soul and so I want to come alongside you and help you win the battle and here's one that you're missing. You're a prideful man or, or you're a lustful man or you're this or you're this and they come alongside. Is that just to point out and make me feel badly about myself? No, it's because they love me enough to come and say, hey, if this remains in your life, it will destroy you. It will destroy you. Don't make a compromise with it. Let's put it in today's terms. We're talking about Memorial Day. 
We're talking about men and women who sacrificed for our country. Can you imagine in the fight against terror if we just decided to go ahead with some of these countries and states that are harboring terrorists and that are harboring nuclear weapons, and we said to them, you know what, it's just okay. Because we trust that you're just going to keep them there and they won't mess with America. If that's our foreign policy, then it's a crazy foreign policy. Because ultimately what's going to happen, the deep-rooted hatred of this country is going to come out and so our government would be nuts and our military would go don't make any compromise with these folks don't do it God is saying as the ultimate warrior do not make compromise with the other things in your life don't and some of you only know how to negotiate because the battle is going to be hard the battle is going to be tough is it going to cost you things to eradicate it all are there going to be some people who don't get it You ever been around someone and you said to them, you know, I know I used to run in that way and I used to do these things and I used to be a part of that. I know that was a part of who I was, but I've come to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm going to deal with some of those deep level things in my life so I can't run with you down that same way or I can't sign off on that business deal because I know that there's something deep down in that business deal that isn't right and it wouldn't honor my God and so I'm going to take care of that and I'm going to step away from that. Those people look at you and go, that is awesome. Way to go. Most of the time they don't. They go, you're nuts. You're weird. What is, you've taken this now a little too far, don't you think? I mean, it's good enough to just love Jesus. You got your fire insurance and you go to church. Don't you think that's enough? And now you're going to bring it into your professional world, into your marriage, into all of this stuff? It's a challenge. And here's what happens in that challenge. We fail. I do every single day. I make contracts and treaties with the enemy all the time. And basically what I say to God is, God, I got it. I got it. I'll take care of it. And my God is so loving that what he likes to do in my life and in your life is let you experience the the results of those bad decisions. Isn't that right? And so here's what happened to the people. The challenge was to drive them all the way out. The compromise was that they were going to drive them only some of the way out. And here's what happened. Chapter 2, now the angel of the Lord went up to Gilgal at Bochum. It's not printed for you, so uh, chapter 2. And he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. This is God speaking. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. There's no compromise, no treaties. And you shall break down their altars. But now you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall, come, they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to the people, they lifted up their voices. Basically what God's saying is this. You want to make a treaty with them? Go ahead. You want to see if it's okay to keep a little bit of poison in your heart and in your life? Go ahead. And I'm going to let it work its way out so that it will bring you to your knees. And hopefully you will see me and turn to me. Sometimes the worst thing that we can do as a parent is take away the consequences of our children's actions. Sometimes the worst thing that we can do as a spouse is to take away the consequences of our spouse's actions. And we think that we're doing it out of love. But sometimes the greatest way to love someone is to say this, do you want to run down that road? I'm warning you not to run down that road. I'm telling you that at the end of that road, there is destruction, there is a cliff, and you're going to go off the end of that cliff. But if you don't want to listen to me, then I'm going to let you go. And I pray that God will keep you safe, but I also pray that God will bring you to the end of yourself. 
And so that maybe at the end of that road, when you're facing some of that destruction and you're facing some of that difficulty, then you'll turn around and you'll do just what the people here did. They cried out and they wept to God and went, God, help. We've gotten to this place. I've shared with you my story at different occasions, but that's a part of my story. That God finally said to a rebellious son, fine, go. Go pursue wealth. Go pursue this. Go drink whatever you want to drink. Go smoke whatever you want to smoke. Go live however you want to live. Go pursue it all and see if it satisfies your soul. And I was at such a place in my life that finally God in his grace penetrated again. And he said, is it worth it? Does it satisfy? You see, folks, God loves you so much that he wants to bring you to your knees so that you see him. Some of you are wrestling with things in your life and you look and your, your thoughts process is something like this. How did I get here? How did this happen? Well, step back and ask. Because most likely what it is, it, it is a series of small compromises along the way. Israel didn't make massive ones. They made a little small ones along the way. We'll take care of these people, but we won't drive them fully out. We think that this, we're just going to do this and this and this. It's small choices along the way that ultimately lead to destruction. And so the important thing in your life is to have a heart and a mind to introspect a little bit. Where am I going with this? Where am I going with this? I saw a card one time. And it was a card of this beautiful woman, and it was supposed to, you know, enticing, and you go, wow, this is a beautiful woman. And you opened up the inside of the card, and it says, just think, somewhere someone thinks she's horrible. Used a different word. But think, because it's this. If you think, oh, this wonderful person, I can run after this wonderful person, there's no reality in that. The beauty of what God is saying to us is think through your actions. Think through where it's leading you. Take, think through the consequences that are coming. And then even when you're there and you're broken down, here's what happens to the people. This is so awesome. As soon as the angel of the Lord, this is verse 4, spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. The word Bochum means weepers. They wept before the Lord. They wept and they sought forgiveness from Him. So here's the end of, the, of it all. When you mess up, which you will, God says, come to me and repent, and I'll restore you. And we talked about last week uh, in chapter 2, it says, and God established judges for them to redeem them and to fight their battles for them. Know this, folks. Some of you are wrestling with how far you want to go and you've let sins take up a hold in your life, and you've let some of these things take up a hold in your life, pride and prejudice uh, and all of these different things that are in your life, and they're there. And God's saying, I've got a judge for you. I've got a champion for you who will take care of it for you if you let him fight the battle for you, if you admit your need. You see, in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, and tear open your heart, not your garments. Most of us find this. When our kids get in trouble, 
What are they most upset for? When they get caught on something, what are they most upset for? Or when we get caught, what are we most upset about? That we got caught. We're most upset about the consequences and it doesn't really penetrate our heart because guess what happens the very next time? We go right back out and we do it again. God says, I don't want just your tears. I want your hearts rent before me. I want you broken under it. I want you to come to me and say, God, we are sorry. Would you come and fight for this for me? Would you come and be my redeemer? Would you come and let me see Jesus in all of his glory? And for some of you today, that's what you need to hear. Because you've been fighting the battles and fighting the battles, but you've been losing and compromising all the way around, and you're exhausted. I want you to hear this today. Christ is there for you. Just call on him. Let him be your redeemer. Let him be the one who eradicates it for you in your life. And take it seriously in your life in that way. It's a struggle, isn't it? Any of you make a decision this year that says, I'm going to live more for Jesus. You know, we're all about New Year's resolutions and all of that, and we come about and we say, I'm going to live for Jesus. Anybody? Wow, we need to work on that. You guys got it all down better. You just said, forget it, I'm not in. Uh, I'm not sure where to go with that one, sweetie. Um, uh, But if you do say, I'm all in for Jesus, it's going to be a battle. Because there are inhabitants in your heart, inhabitants in your soul, that don't leave easily. And you need someone stronger than yourself to fight those things for you. So the question becomes, do you trust in Christ enough to believe that he will and his plan is best? If you don't understand anything that I'm talking about, come and talk to me. Talk to one of our elders who's around. Talk to someone who you know is walking along with Christ a little further down the road than you are and say, help me understand these things. Because the beauty of the book of Judges is this. It is that constant battle in seeing our need of a redeemer and a savior each day. Let's pray. God, thank you for history and geography, and they're tough things to get around sometimes. And Lord, I pray that we would see you in the midst of this. We don't just condemn Israel because they didn't finish the job, but we see ourselves in Israel, that we see that we like to compromise and we like to keep other gods around for convenience sake. And God, you you don't allow us to do that. So God, I pray that you would lead us to the end of ourselves and that we would see you in all of your glory, and come and call out and see our Redeemer, our Judge, Jesus, save us from our enemies. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.